0: Hey there, green future growers thanks for joining us today if you're new to the show i hope you'll subscribe on itunes or your favorite android app and
1: let's get growing this is sarah harding from coconut at sea soap company i was inspired to start making plastic-free shampoo bars on a family boat trip to indonesia i was in heaven But seeing avoidable plastic polluting the rivers, beaches, and oceans of our planet broke my heart. So I came home and started making shampoo bars. My mother nature's shampoo bar is a plastic-free alternative to bottled shampoo. Just like growing a garden and wearing natural fiber clothes, shampoo bars are an example of old-fashioned choices that make good sense today. To read more about my climate story, Visit CoconutAtSea.com. There, you can also shop for our soaps and shampoo bars made with organic ingredients. We help folks get clean without mucking up the planet. CoconutAtSea.com.
0: Get your copy of the Organic Oasis Guidebook available today from Amazon. It's got 12 lessons designed to help you create your own organic oasis um it starts with healthy soil it talks about building an earth-friendly landscape it helps you understand the difference between annuals and perennials and how to bring in beneficial insects it talks about fruit trees and just um all the lessons that i've learned on my podcast mixed with what mike and i have done here okay what mike has done here at mike's green garden and just um I hope that it will help you on your garden journey, uh, to create, like I said, your own organic oasis, um, where you can have healthy food and enjoy, um, you know, a very special place. And most of all, it's good for mother earth. Welcome to the organic gardener podcast today. It is Friday, August 23rd, 2019 and I have somebody who started out as a listener and I always say listeners make the best guests because oftentimes they've, um, you know, maybe their learning curve is a little bit newer or just, uh, they're interested in the same things as we are and they're a green future grower. And today's guest is definitely growing a greener future because she's teaching her kids and she's taught other kids and she's just a fantastic, uh, green future growers. So here to share with us today is Michelle Lip. Welcome to the show, Michelle.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, well, we're excited. And I know I'm super excited because we met on Facebook and if we keep the pre chat in or if we don't, we had a little talk about things that we like about Facebook and things that we think are challenges and teaching the next generation about Facebook. So, Anyway, Michelle, go ahead and yeah. tell listeners all about you and your family and, uh, I don't know, whatever you want to share.
2: Yeah, so my name is Michelle Lipp, Um, And as you mentioned, I am an early childhood educator turned play-at-home mom of now three kids. I have a five-year-old son, a two-and-a-half-year-old son, and a four-month-old daughter. Um, and when I was in the classroom... I taught for over a decade in about um, five states actually, with five different climates. And I was always known as the teacher who got outside no matter what. Um, So if it was a really, really cold winter day and people were wondering, should we go outside today with our kids? Nobody ever asked me because my answer was always yes. Um, And I was really very big on the importance of getting children outdoors. at least for a bit, even if it was just for a walk, even if it was just for a puddle jump. And then fast forward to the time that my eldest was two, and I had stepped out of the classroom and into the home as a play at home mom. And he went to preschool the following year. His school principal came up to me and said, you know, your kids must always get outside. And I was at that point, I had two kids at home. I had my my two year old who was in preschool and my baby, my son, my middle son. And I realized, oh, my goodness, we never go outside. Somehow, in my head, I felt like it was so much easier to put 12 kids into snowsuits and boots or rain clothes and get them outside than just to get my own two out the door and get them back in again. So I realized I really needed to make a change. I needed to get back outside. I needed my kids to be getting outside. And I also needed a way to kind of make myself accountable for that. Um, And so I decided I was going to start a nature-based play group in my community, and I did that. It's called Park and Play, and we're on our second year of running right now. I started it at first that we ran through late winter into early fall, and I live in the state of Virginia, so we have a pretty moderate climate. Um, And then this is our first year that I will be trying out going all through the year, through all the seasons and having a monthly meetup during the school year and um, even in the winter, and also having some story time sessions aimed at parents who are at home with children who are under the age of preschool um, and reaching out to those families. And it is completely free and open to the public. I don't advertise a huge amount because I'm a little bit shy and introverted, in addition to also loving what I do. So it tends to be mostly families and children that I know. I do love, however, when we're in a park or in a public place because we do use parks and public locations for our meetups so that I can keep them free of charge. Um, I love when other families and children do join us, and I love meeting new people that way. And it's been an amazing way to get myself and my family outdoors, to get other families and children outdoors, and to connect with our community and the amazing park systems that we have here too. Um, So I guess I... We'll also say that as an educator and as a parent, that I really feel strongly that children need to be outdoors and adults do. I feel that over my decade of teaching, I saw something really shift in my classrooms. I saw something shift in my family's homes. And I saw something really shift in the way that children played outdoors. And I know Jackie, you're a teacher and I know you see how our academics are changing and how there's a push earlier and earlier on for children to sit still and, you know, do skills in the classroom that may or may not be developmentally appropriate for their age. But I'm a really firm believer that those skills can be developed by being in nature, that children learn to sit still through moving around and developing those muscles in their hands and developing the muscles in their arms and developing those muscles in their core. And I'm a firm believer that the kid who is staring out the window during circle time, watching a ball go back and forth is learning the most early and essential skill to tracking words on a page and learning how to read, you know? So I'm really a very big believer that education can happen outdoors. It can happen without direction, And specific instruction. And in fact, that it really needs to, that children really do need that unstructured time in nature and having that fresh air and that vitamin D and being able to learn how to navigate nature spaces and see plants grow and have access to that. And so that's another big reason that I do run my group is to make sure that that my family is getting that and that children in our area are getting that. The more I worked in the classroom, the more I saw children coming in who did struggle with sitting still and had more core weakness and upper body weakness and even in our experiences outdoors where yes, children often beg to go outside, but a lot of the times when we would go out, more and more children didn't really seem to know how to engage in outdoor play or even begin some children would you know right away go and do something and play and pick up rocks and explore and Other children would kind of be what I call wallflowers, like they would just kind of stand around um, and and needed a longer time to really do that and needed more support to do that. So I really feel strongly about making nature accessible to all children and all families. And that means including children who have different needs and different learning styles, including families that have different financial backgrounds. Um, So that's kind of my why of doing what I do.
0: Well, you know, I love all of that. Uh, The fact that you're willing to go out there and we're like, okay, so this woman who writes a column in our local newspaper just wrote a couple of weeks ago, she has a toddler who I think is maybe two and a half. And she's like, I would love for someone to come to, I need things to do, especially she was talking about on rainy days. Um, but somebody to come to her house, when you were talking about the story time that you go to somebody's house, like she was like, I need help so bad. She's like, I don't know. I don't really like to play, um, like dress up or something, or I can't remember what it was, but she's like, I don't know how to play with my child pretty much. And I yeah. was just looking for exactly what you're talking about. And especially like you're saying that kids don't know how to get out in nature, um, maybe their parents don't and that you're sharing with these young families is just fantastic
2: and that's a huge thing I mean I, I feel like that that is you just hit the nail on the head when you talked about parents struggling to play that I think we do inherently lose touch with that sense of wonder and curiosity and for me I feel like I regain it in nature. I, I might not be, you know, as confident to put on dress up clothes with my kids, but when I'm outside, I am just as fascinated by the things that they discover as they are. And so I feel that that's also an area where parents can gain confidence in playing and gain confidence in supporting their kids. And I'll be completely honest with you that I don't always love being outdoors. I am working on, um, I have a a blog that I keep as well. I'm working on articles now about the barriers to being outdoors. And there are plenty of times it's not easy. Like it's super hot and I'm hiking wearing a baby or it's raining and I don't really like getting wet either. Or, you know, all of these things that that our children experience, we experience too. I try really hard as a mom to work through some of my own discomforts with it um, and not also, necessarily project those onto my kids because they have their own level of discomfort right my eldest loves 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 being outdoors um and is really interested in nature and he's also sometimes a bit nervous about things so a couple of weeks ago we were at a local park here and a bug crawled up his shirt and he told me it bit him I didn't you know I checked I didn't see an actual mark or a bug bite but anyway he got really scared by that and we went to another outdoor Group um in our community last week, and all of a sudden he remembered it. It was a different spot, different day. But all of a sudden, my five-year-old remembered that bug going up his shirt, and he decided he was afraid of all bugs. And he also decided that the bugs were probably only on the ground past our picnic blanket. So he stood on that picnic blanket and refused to move. He stayed there, but he refused to move off the picnic blanket for the entire time that we were out on our hike and, and at our at our site. And You know, I didn't, I didn't freak out. I didn't yell at him. I knew eventually he's probably going to get off that picnic blanket probably sometime before he's 30. Um, I also knew at some point I was going to pick up that picnic blanket and we were going to walk back to the car one way or the other. But I also knew that this is just part of his experience and part of his day. And that every time you go outside, it's a different day. And he's still going to go outside or he's still going to play in the park. And what ended up happening is he's on the blanket he played with children when they came to him. He looked at a, um, a, a nature guide that I had with me, and you know was trying to identify different leaves. And at the end of the time, I said, "Okay, you know it's time to go," and we're going to fold up the blanket. And I talked to him about all of the times that we had been outside where he didn't get a bug bite. All the times, even that we had gone to that other park and played where the bug did go in his shirt, and the bug hadn't done that, you know, and helped him find evidence to support that he really. Could do this and he could be okay. Um, he did not want to get off the blanket. Um, I said, you know, you you can stay here, but I'm going to have to fold up our blanket. And he started our walk back, and I think it was the hike back that really rebuilt his confidence. At first, he's like, I need to go slow, and I'm like, that's okay, we can go slow. And you know, we stopped and we we played a little scavenger hunt and looked for a leaf that was green or a leaf that was brown or you know, a big long stick or a tiny rock. And when he made it to the car he was so proud of himself it didn't matter what I thought it really was that he needed to regain that confidence and he was like I did it and a bug didn't bother me and I saw a dragonfly and I walked around it you know I think those experiences for children of moving through the things that do hinder them are just as important as they are to us and so I feel like the outdoors is the place where where we all can get that and there are things that are inherently uncomfortable about being outside and being in nature and being in places that are new and different um so so I think that's another you know another end of it and I love that you share that this parent you know had a struggle with that and for sure I struggle with too so
0: do you want to tell us about your first gardening experience like were you a kid were you an adult like who were you with did your mom have a garden
2: so yeah, my my mom did have a garden, um, and that was my earliest gardening or experiences were being in my backyard as a child. My mom grew up in New York City, but always had a love for nature and the outdoors. Um, she had a small yard in her own, uh, a small garden and yard in her own home growing up, and I remember being very little, probably preschool age and under. And my mom had her garden, and my sister and I had our own little plot. So there are pictures of me holding cucumbers that are as big as I was. I was raised in the era where it was still okay to toss your kids out in the backyard. Um, it was a fenced-in backyard, and we really just played there all day. And there was a whisk barrel that had chives in it, and I fully confess that I ate handfuls of chives out of that thing all day long i don't think the onions sent off of me until i was about eight um but i would just eat chives and dig in the mud and the garden was a place where it was totally okay to fail it was totally okay to plant something and it died you know and it it was totally okay to succeed it was amazing to watch things grow and i you know i think that it wasn't even so much that my mother who was also a teacher would take us out and say, you know, look under this rock, there's bugs, or this is how corn grows. It was just that we experienced it and that we were out there and digging in the dirt and getting dirty and making mud pies and, and fairy salads and all of that. And that was really how we learned about that. So I didn't really have a lot of specific instruction on how to garden and how to grow things. It was just something that we did. And even, When it came to doing that organically, it was just how we did it. It wasn't really, you know, I always say um, that my mom was in certain ways ahead of her time, Um, both as a teacher and as a mom. I had actually very severe allergies as a child, and I was very allergic to insect bites and probably these things as well, although I never got stung by a bee. Um, So we were among the first people to have EpiPens where we lived. And it was, you know, this was before the age of EpiPens being something that teachers and people were trained in using. It was always that my mother just went in the school and said, this is an EpiPen. If this happens, use it. I was Um. allergic to fresh fruit. Um, I couldn't eat like a raw apple without breaking out into hives, peaches, cherries, all of these things. And it was always just kind of I mean, I had an allergist, I had allergy medicine. It was always just kind of one of those things that, you know, nowadays I teach students like this and they come in with lists and, you know, and how to support them and and we have more concrete knowledge, but it was kind of touch and go back then. Um, And I, I think that one of my mother's theories was that she thought maybe pesticides played a role. And so I remember before the age of there being organic produce, in grocery stores, like there is now, that we would go to a fruit stand and get fruits without pesticides. <laughs> and You know, this is before the Dirty Dozen list or any of that. Um, and I don't know. You know, this is years later. I've actually outgrown most of those allergies. Um, have some crossover ones, but uh, and I did years of allergy shots. But you know, it's still. So, this was so ahead of ahead of the time and. I think that some of those things probably do kind of um, support my own choice to garden as organically as I can, but, but it was kind of just how I grew up. So I never really had like specific instruction on how to garden and I'm still kind of (laughs) figuring it out on my own. Um, But, but that was my first gardening experience.
0: So, tell us about something that's growing well this summer, grew well this year.
2: So, this year, my sunflowers were prolific. Um, I live in a rented space, so I'll tell you about my garden. Um, I have a townhouse-style apartment, and we have some space in the front yard and in our backyard. It is mostly public Um and it's shared. And then we also just had um we've lived in our in our apartment for over 5 years but we just had new property management take over and they have a lot of different feelings about tartus than our previous owners did which is a little bit it's been a little bit of an adventure for us because they decided they only want certain things in the front of the apartments and certain things back. So there's been a little bit of midsummer gardening redecoration um whether it was planned or not, they keep chopping my lufo vine down and it keeps growing back with a vengeance, but <laughs> uh, it's kind of always just been an experiment. And it started off my garden here when my son was about my eldest was about two. And right when I stopped teaching and started staying at home, I was like, okay, what do you do first? And one of the things I brought home from my classroom was an enormous selection of seeds that I had brought in for my students to observe and for us to try and plant. And so I just kind of started some seeds. And uh, five years later, I still have cherry tomatoes coming back that I did not plant there. But this year, my sunflowers were amazing. And we also planted um, a pizza garden. My two sons loved a book that a children's book that we read this year called Pizza Day. Um, And I can... Uh, give you the title and author is Melissa Ey. I can give you more information about that for your show notes if you'd like. Um, but that became the idea that they had was let's plant a pizza garden. So one of the challenges of living in a shared space and a property that's not owned by us is that they do spray the lawns. So I do not like to directly plant in the ground here because I'm not really comfortable with the chemicals being on our produce so this year we um, invested in a raised bed uh, table style raised bed Um, I was also very very pregnant with my daughter at the beginning of the season and I wasn't really sure if I was going to end up having a c-section or not because I did have a c-section with my second Um, I ended up not having one but I wanted to be able to garden even if I couldn't bend down when I got home so that kind of really went into my planning by your third kid that's what you're thinking about is your garden you're not too worried about the other stuff but um so we did our pizza garden in that we had some successes and some not so successes with that but the sunflowers were really exciting to me because last year was the first year we planted mammoth sunflowers and at the end of getting two very successful mammoth sunflowers, I brought one of the flower heads inside and I let my kids dissect it and we collected the seeds. And it was just so incredibly fascinating to all of us Wait, that there Michelle, were thousands hold on a sec, and thousands up. of things. is that better?
0: hopefully. It was like it was clear, <laughs> but then every once in a while it would go out. Um
2: Yeah. Yeah. So last year was our first year growing mammoth sunflowers, and we planted a small handful of seeds and ended up with three mammoth sunflowers. And at the end of their run, I brought one of the flower heads inside for my boys to kind of dissect. And we collected the seeds and we saved the seeds. And there were so many seeds that we shared the seeds this year um, with with our play group. And we planted some again and got just amazing sunflowers again. So that was, I think my, my biggest success this year. And we measured them at the end. We had a, a one that was, I think seven and a half feet tall. And one that was just short of eight feet tall. We're not the tallest people in the world. So that was pretty exciting. (laughs) Um, And that was, that was definitely, I think my, my most exciting thing in the garden this year. Although I think my, my sons would probably say the strawberries were, were there biggest success this year because they're still eating strawberries off their plant
0: you're the best mom this is so awesome uh and I'm so jealous because I did plant a whole bunch of mammoth sunflower seeds that I saved from a different year and they didn't even sprout I mean maybe they sprouted the birds came to eat them but there is not one growing yeah <laughs> I planted them all yeah, over I mean, our plant have... line, so way to go <laughs>
2: We had, it was purely luck. And and I can tell you, the ones that grew the best were not ones that I actually planted. We had this random one pop up that I'm not sure if it's something my boys
1: planted or
2: the birds helped or, you know, or what it was. And then I had another one that somehow ended up behind where we had previously had a little water toy. And because it was too dark there, this is just how amazing nature is. It grew across the ground past the other sunflowers and still sprouted up. So at the end of it, it was, I mean, it probably was about five or six feet tall, but it was across the ground and the flower only came up about a foot, (laughs) but it was, it's just amazing to me that, you know, I mean, when I try to garden, usually things don't do well, but if I just step back and leave it alone, it's, (laughs) it's usually way, way better.
0: You and I are so alike. Except for you had three kids and said that having one of them was super easy. (laughs) (laughs) Or that you were ready for it or dreaming about your garden or whatever. I was like, oh my goodness. Uh, But anyway, well, so what are you guys excited to try next year? What are you going to do new for the next year?
2: Uh, You know, I'm not sure at this point. I think... We're hoping to move to a bigger space because we are now a family of five in a two-bedroom townhouse-style apartment. So we're past the sardine stage here. But I'm I'm hoping that maybe we'll be in a bigger space by then, and maybe a bigger garden will be in our future. So, so I guess we will well,
0: we'll see. Perfect. Uh, well, how about telling us about something that didn't go the way you thought it was gonna this season?
2: Something so I did have a brandy wine tomato flop. Um, this season, I read the book years ago, the $64 tomato. Um, I'm trying to remember the author of that book. I'll have to look it up and I can and send it to you for your show notes. And I probably should have taken my tips from the book, but when we were planting our pizza garden, I took my boys to pick out, you know, the plants that they would like to put in the pizza garden and, the peppers did well. The tomatoes my son picked did well. My brandy lines got flowers, but no fruit. I'm not sure if it was the soil pH. I think we had a little bit of early blight um, on my tomatoes. It was a really wet spring here. Um, but, you know, every year there is there is successes and flops. I did vow that this year I was going to be a little bit more relaxed about the flops. So, um, I recently pulled them and, and started some of my cool weather crops and we still got plenty of tomatoes on our, on our other plants. And, uh, so that was, that was something that did not go well this year. <laughs> now, where are, um, you? Um, are yeah.
0: you in Washington or Virginia or you're on the East coast, right? In kind of a warmer Yeah. So I'm, area I'm East are.
2: coast, yeah. yeah, so I'm in Virginia now, um, but I have lived, I've lived in new york state massachusetts i have lived in washington state and northern idaho eastern washington northern idaho so um kind of like in that panhandle area and i've attempted gardening in all of those climates and it's been different in every single place so um
0: yeah because like our tomatoes are just barely flowering i don't think i think it's gonna be too cold it's been too cold this Summer, and but,
2: every year is so different. Even yes. here, it's been different. I'm still not used to. This is as far south as I have ever lived, so I'm not used to having this long of a season. Um, being able to plant as early as we do, it's very different for me than you know being in all those northern states where I gardened. Um, so that's yeah. I mean, I have to kind of like peek in my neighbors' yards or look things up to know when to do things. But every year has been different. I mean, the first year mm-hmm. we were here, I direct sowed carrots and had amazing success the other years I had nothing there are years where zucchini and squash have done really well and years where I have had no fruit so you know it's really I think really dependent here on on the rainfall and it's also just the soil quality I do mostly container gardening at this point anything edible is in a container um, or in a raised bed but you know, I live, I live and learn. And I also realize every season's different. You really, you can control only so much and the rest is up to, <laughs> up to, you know, what, what happens outside. So.
0: What cool weather crops are you planting?
2: So we took a family trip. Um, I took my three kids to our garden shop and I let each member pick something. My oldest son picked spinach and I, I think I might have to try again <laughs> because that seems not to have survived the transplant. And I, I find it so odd to plant cool weather crops, when it's still 90 degrees outside. So that might be one reason is that we're still having some pretty hot temps, but my middle sun picked, um, rainbow beets, which seem to be doing well, although I've never ever planted those from, um, starter plants i've always direct sown them so i don't know we'll see and my husband we got some cabbage for and i decided to get some broccoli because my middle son actually for his second birthday asked for a broccoli plant i'm sure that's totally normal um (laughs) and we planted it but we didn't actually get any broccoli we got a lot of foliage and i think it might do better cool weather so we're trying again Um, And we'll see. It's kind of always just an adventure. Uh, One of our local garden shops also has a free kids club. So the kids get um, every month a free plant or free garden related activity. So that's always something that they look forward to when we actually make it in. And, um, you know, so, so last summer, my son got a watermelon plant and he was so, so, so excited about it. He loves watermelon And then he had an object lesson in the garden about how the plant needs to be attached to its roots and still in the ground to continue growing because he walked a little bit too close to the watermelon plant. And so, I mean, I think that that's also, I won't say which one of us cried more about that, Um, but, but that's also one of those wonderful things in the garden is that you do have those object lessons. And he was really trying so hard last year to put it back together and <laughs> um you know so we've had a lot of successes and we've had some failures and the garden as I said is a place where that is just totally okay
0: uh, oh. so tell me just a little tiny bit more about like what is a pizza garden do you grow it in a circle you put things that you want to eat. what do you what's a pizza garden
2: So you can, I've seen ideas in books where you can grow it in a circle and it can actually like each slice would be like a different plant. You might have like a slice of peppers or a slice of um, basil or, you know, and we ended up just doing it, things that we would like to put on our pizza all in the same raised bed. So we ended up at the beginning of the season planting sweet peppers and oregano and basil And tomatoes, um, and you know, you could do onions. I mean, really whatever grows well in your area or where you wanna try. Um, and and that's what we did. I have very different eaters in my house. I have my oldest son is more particular about things. I always joke that, you know, he won't eat a chicken nugget, but he totally will eat a raw basil leaf off the plant. Um, and I was like that as a kid too. I'm I'm fully recovered from my picky eating. I sometimes wish I was pickier, but, uh, you know, he's, I think that's also a place for him to experiment and, and have control over trying new things or not trying them. And that's fine too. Um, my middle son will eat everything. So I've definitely found him out there eating green tomatoes, um, and red tomatoes and, eating a strawberry leaves and all. Um, so we're working on that, <laughs> you know, what parts of the plant and what time the plant is ready. And, and that's so. That's kind of what we ended up doing was just planting the things that we liked. And we ended up also having some nasturtiums and marigolds in our pizza garden, even though they were not intended specifically for eating, but rather for pollinating and also for pest control. Um, we ended up with dill in the middle to attract pollinators and, Um, recently just harvested that so that we could save the seeds so my dill um,
0: smells so good this year does
2: your dill smell good this year it did smell really good because i like dill Uh, we even made refrigerator pickles this year with some cucumbers that we had planted in a container and some of our dill but not everybody in my family likes pickles so i like them and my middle son likes them my husband doesn't but he has redeeming qualities it's okay he did tell us uh you know tell me on our second date that he didn't like pickles and I almost left but then I was like okay you know more for me it'll be okay <laughs> um so so it did it, I thought it smelled really good but I don't I don't think my husband likes the smell <laughs> I don't know um but but yeah it's definitely we had a lot of pollinators in our garden this year and I know I know that's a struggle and I feel like the sunflowers brought a lot of bees and a lot of butterflies. And I know so many people in my area, um, you know, and and in a lot of areas are seeing a decline in that. So, so that's another thing I do try to incorporate every year, regardless of what we're planting or what we're doing or things that do attract them and, and hopefully some plants that will also kind of help deter some of the less wanted guests in our garden.
0: You know, both my mom and my husband have talked about a lack of bees this year. Have you noticed the lack of bees at your place? You said even, but you have pollinators, but...
2: I've had the opposite. And my, I have an aunt and uncle who live in North Carolina and also said they have had a real lack of bees this year. My sunflowers were just surrounded by them. And I don't know if I just got lucky or that's something that they're particularly attracted to, but I just had a lot of bees this year, which was really great. Um, And I, you know, definitely, definitely needed. So, but I have heard in general that this year has been in other areas and I don't know how other people in my area have have fared either. So I, I guess I should ask and find out, but.
0: Yeah. And post it in the Facebook group. Let me know. Uh yeah. We don't have any sunflower I have one sunflower volunteer that came back and that's it. Uh like you said. And usually we plant, so maybe that's part of why they're missing here. My husband doesn't like the smell of cilantro, which I love.
2: Uh, <laughs> and I see, love the the awesome, my husband about loves with... cilantro and I don't. <laughs> I'm learning to love it. <laughs> but I hear that's one I that do... you like you either like or you don't. Yeah. There's not really an in between. I'm trying to be that in between person. I can, and I feel like I, small all an I like, but I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, yeah. Well, but you're like
0: making it. pickles. Good for you.
2: <laughs> yeah. Before we get to the root of
0: things, we're going to thank our sponsors and affiliate links. It's my first sponsor, Robin Kelson from the Good Seed Company. Welcome, Robin. Yay. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and very happy to be your sponsor. We have a large variety of locally adapted, open-pollinated, non-GMO vegetable, flower, and herb seeds. And we hope you'll enjoy visiting our website, goodseedco.net or GoodSeedMontana, Montana, and seeing the resources that we offer for becoming a better gardener, a better seed saver, and a member of building resiliency around food in your community.
1: This is Sarah Harding from Coconut at Sea Soap Company. I was inspired to start making plastic-free shampoo bars on a family boat trip to Indonesia. I was in heaven. But seeing avoidable plastic polluting the rivers, beaches, and oceans of our planet broke my heart. So I came home and started making shampoo bars. My mother nature's shampoo bar is a plastic-free alternative to bottled shampoo. Just like growing a garden and wearing natural fiber clothes, shampoo bars are an example of old-fashioned choices that make good sense today. To read more about my climate story, visit coconutatsea.com. There, you can also shop for our soaps and shampoo bars made with organic ingredients. We help folks get clean without mucking up the planet. Coconut at Sea com
0: and now let's get to the root of things well we're already at the part of the show called getting to the root of things so michelle i know you know how this goes what's your least favorite activity yeah. doing the garden what do you have to force yourself to get out there and do
2: uh definitely the part where i have to lure my kids back inside that's uh that's my least favorite part oh, <laughs> um, the rest that. i don't i don't really mind but yeah that's definitely the hardest part There's usually. Um, at least one being carried like a football screaming and crying. So <laughs> that that's probably the hardest part.
0: They have like a tiny little school garden at the school I'm going to be at this year. So I'm pretty excited to see the kids out there. I was I curious about so that. I
2: was wondering charming. if you do. And there's a trail that
0: goes behind the yeah. school in the woods. Like I look out my window and it's like uh, looking amazing. out my back door. It's really pretty at the school. I'm super excited. Yeah.
1: Uh, I have a
2: huge passion for, um, outdoor classrooms and and designing them and setting them up even mobile outdoor classrooms if you don't have an outdoor space but I've done um, some really great uh, master classes and trainings on that over the last few years and it's just something that I love seeing that more and more schools are incorporating gardens and utilizing nature spaces and and using that in in their education model not just as a break from the education so i'm, I'm excited to see what you do i almost this fell year over with yesterday your at the
0: staff meeting they wanted a volunteer to have a worm bin <laughs> i was like oh so cool i was like um i'm on that i'm gonna raise my hand part and the conversation stemmed from they're trying to figure out what to do with the cardboard because they insist on recycling i'm like right, yeah i love this and that's
2: something i mean we've we just got a composter this year. I think that was my, might've been my mother's day present. (laughs) Um, And we, you know, because we do live in an apartment and obviously I can't have like huge open composting bins. I'm pretty sure they wouldn't like that, but it's been so exciting and, you know, being able to have that like right in our yard and, and use that. And we don't have curbside recycling here. So anything that we recycle, I, you know, I have to bring, we have like local, grocery stores where we can deposit it and um which is nice for my kids to see and you know and nice for them to be able to see that we can reuse things and and recycle things and and i feel like them being able to grow up with that is going to hopefully set them on the path to being more mindful consumers and and recyclers themselves so
0: all right i got a challenge for you so i found this new teaching podcast and the girl next to me is a podcaster. She listens to Angela Watson, who has the Truth for Teachers podcast that I love. And she introduced me to these two oh, new God. ones. And one is, uh, oh, what's her name? Jacqueline Starr or something. Uh, anyway, she had this guest on yesterday about a no-waste classroom. And so this is her thing. There's They've come up with five R's. The first is refuse. So, like you know, don't go out there and buy a brand new t-shirt if you can find a t-shirt at the secondhand store or something, or, yeah. you know, sew a button back on something that you were just going to toss. Like, you know, try to stop buying things, um, that you didn't, uh, need necessarily. And then there's the, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle. And then they added rot at the end because of food waste, which is like, I just did an interview with Bob yeah. Quinn who talked a lot about food waste and it's just so nice to see. And at this school, like they're talking about, like for so long, I wanted to get, um, you know, composting and using the kitchen scraps. And so they want a compost bin there if somebody will take it on. So I'm going to get on the worm bin compost bin and get that. I'm pretty sure this will be a place where I can get that put into place and there won't be uh, it won't be as big of a challenge.
2: Yeah. And I used to, in my classroom, I would actually make a recycling bin, so I would just buy a plastic, you know, garbage bin, and it would be our classroom recycling bin. And we also always had a scrap paper bin. I think that's you know, it's always great for kids to be able to use that in art, and also for Wait, kids who what? need a, a, a scrap paper, like scrap paper. Oh, cool! Like paper that can be re- reused. So I would use those things were used in a few ways. So sometimes, if I had a student who really just needed to like let off some steam and get some scribbles out before doing their actual work. That was an awesome resource. Like go grab some paper and, you know, get all those scribble scrabbles out and then you can do your most careful work on your actual paper. Um, And also we would just have days where I would empty our recycling bin and that would be our art activity. So I might set out a whole bunch of recyclables on the table and some art materials with it. And the kids would, have a challenge to make an animal or make a rocket ship or a robot it's still an activity i do with my kids at home it's something i do at least once a year with my with my clay group um, we're doing actually a robot a recycled robot event next week um and it's just it's something that because it's not in every child's home that i think it is so important for them to see. And it would become that these kids would at home say, I need to bring this to school to put in the recycling bin. Um, (laughs) I don't know how much the parents appreciated that or not, but, uh, you know, and it was just also something that I felt really changed the way that they handled things in the classroom that I I know your teachers, so you can relate to this, but caps, left off markers, is that not one of the most, you know, challenging and frustrating things that in general, though, the kids were so much more mindful of how they used things when they realized that you know paper can be used to its fullest and you know and that these things once we use them are done and what happens when they're done and where they go and how we use them from there so I, i that was always a part of my classrooms even though i was just teaching preschoolers and they are very young it's still something that that we we definitely did and never had a a compost bin in my classroom but that that's really cool I wish I could have
0: yeah it was great and yeah that was one of the reasons I got it was I thought it would use up some of those scrap construction paper things because Denny Cray talked about um they have one at their house and so successful and it was something I was successful with like the worms grew they did great the kids loved it um
2: awesome
0: and so I'm so excited to be at a school the teacher next door to me got a hamster yesterday (laughs) it's so cute it's like the tiniest (laughs) little hamster you ever saw it's like the size of a mouse I was like how old is this thing it looks like it's like just but it's really cute. cute and uh yeah so the hamster can be next door and uh and we can have the worm bin in my room or perhaps very cool uh Well, probably, yeah, I guess in our room because it's going to be winter soon. I was going to say put it, we could put it outside because this like school sounds like they're ready for like a full on compost because they don't know what to do. The problem stemmed with the place where they've been taking the cardboard once maybe you have to pay for it now. Yeah, like places you've been taking have a
2: lot of times that to- you
0: And so and then the free places they were talking about the bins were too small or like, what are we going to do with all this um, cardboard and the scrap paper that um, we're producing? So I was just so glad to be surrounded with like minded people who want to do some of that recycling. And so, uh, yeah, we can get that rot in there because that's what like I keep hearing people like talk like I can't remember what I was going to say. Talk about. Like all this food that gets wasted. And yeah. I feel like the big, a huge chunk of it is just that it's going into the landfill instead of going into compost piles, like in all these cafeterias. Like if we just collected the food that is prepared, that's not eaten. I mean, when you're going to have salad bars, at least we're having salad bars at a lot more places in schools. Yeah. And that's,
2: huge. And I, that's I feel huge. like it
0: should be a law that you have to compo or like the restaurant I'm working at this year. Cause like, I finally got to the point where I can't take home any more eggshells and now they're back in the garbage. And like, I remember the very first day yeah. it was like, I was like watching gold. I swear. It was just like my eyes, they could just tell that I was like, what can I take those home? Like it was just like, but there was, there's so many of them. So anyway, I just feel like we need to, uh, those are kind of the places where I think a lot of this food, I don't, I mean, I guess people, I'm certainly a culprit. I have bought strawberries before that have rotted in my fridge. I don't oh, yeah. make my potatoes into any kind of vegetable broth or anything like I probably should, but, um, I still feel like the majority of it is, is in these places where there's these big cafeterias and, large amounts of, like, there's just going to be leftover food. There's just, you know, when you're prepping, when you're cutting your yeah, lettuce, and it, when you're peeling your carrots, if you're going to yep. peel them, which I personally don't like too, but I know lots of people like them peeled. Anyway, Michelle, what is your favorite activity to do in the garden?
2: I, uh, think I, know you know, I would say, say that on the other end of my least favorite activity, my most favorite activity to do in the garden is getting my kids outside and and, and even just getting all children outside and families outside for me, I feel like I learned so much by watching them and instead of going at my pace, going at their pace. And instead of directing in the way that I do as an adult, letting them kind of direct and navigate the experience. And in that sense, I feel like I have learned how to play again and I have learned how to be outdoors and have that sense of wonder and curiosity, you know, and it's, it's something when I think about how we learn and how we teach that, I think there are three different types of, of learning that you can do. You can, you know, and especially with technology now, and I think all of them have value. I think there's a type of learning where we can read a book about a bug or look it up on the internet and learn about a bug. And then there's, the type of learning where a teacher or an adult takes a child outside and shows the child that bug and, and how it lives. And then there's a third type of learning where the child is outside and lifts up an old rotting log and finds the bug. And I think all of those types of learning have value and are important. I think that third type is the type of learning that really sticks with you though, where you remember, like, I remember being a little girl and Playing with worms in my backyard and you know, and putting them in my sandbox to see what happened in, you know, in the sand with the worm. And those were were experiences that were child led, and the learning was led by me rather than directed or coming from a book or an article. And I think for sure all of those learning experiences do have value, but I really like to see opportunities for children to have their own directed learning outdoors. And that's, I think my favorite thing about being in the garden is just having that opportunity for, for kids to do that. And for me to do that.
0: Gosh, it's hard to imagine you having to convince yourself to go outside. You've really turned it around if you did in the beginning, but uh I definitely did.
2: I it definitely definitely made a difference. But um, how
0: inspiring are you for everybody that you talk to and that you're sharing your story with today and just more people and your passion and just I love it and I love seeing your pictures on Facebook. It's just the best that you share these like cool little like tea parties and and things that you're doing outside and
2: uh, yeah, we. I just got that book you recommended too. And my kids are oh my gosh, so excited because they book. love Aren't having the tea parties. So, the best. So beautiful. I love the illustrations. I think I liked that just as much as the content. <laughs> so.
0: And we did, I did almost all of those parties at one time or another. Like, the, I think there's like two. Yeah, parties I feel like I we'll be doing. Do. We would like change little yeah. things here and there based on what we yeah, had available. For but sure. It's amazing how, for like little kids, just like making a ladybug placemat, like out of a piece of construction paper and black crayons, can like make a party pop. Yep. Yeah. Just like, oh, <clears throat> kids yeah. It's just love. You can come up with like a theme. And I think I even did like a strawberry theme party from that book for like my stepdaughter's like sixteenth birthday that was like a super hit.
2: oh, that is so cute. Uh, that is super cute. she
0: loved strawberries. She would pick wild we had wild strawberries here in Montana. We tried to grow strawberries, but we've had trouble with it and like Mike was like, there's a flower down on your uh strawberry plant, so maybe I'm gonna get one because I bought strawberries uh in the spring when I went to the missoula half American but uh what was I going to ask you something? Um, Oh, well, I think, uh, I, I do totally agree with you about kids getting their best experiences, learning and being outdoors. And like, I think, uh, I just think it's like calming for them. There's so much math and science and just different things you can do. And then like you were saying that they're directed by the kids, um yeah you know if they're into worms one day or the next day they're into whatever bug they found or they want to discover leaves or just there's so many opportunities out there and for kids to absolutely and it's grow, all there you know because for them for something to grow in a season is like you know a big part of their life as compared to like us we like oh it's just a summertime or something
2: um yeah I guess that's the, true and that's, I think that's one of the challenges of like gardens and schools is that the season that most things grow is the season when schools aren't in session but you know so kids don't always get to see in all areas you know they might plant something at the end of the school year and they don't necessarily get to see the process of it and experience you know the full the full cycle but yeah well
0: i think that's a great place for like um you know like summer programs to step in and i don't know exactly. i can't imagine yeah. what working parents do with their kids in the summers anyway like i always think like my it mom was so a hard teacher and camp, so we had her yeah but what do other parents do where you're not a teacher and you don't have a summer off what they do with their kids
2: yeah it's an enormous challenge and i have actually um read about schools who um, will keep their garden open and run by the community during the summer and, and you, you talked a bit about food waste and, and things like that. I, my mind went to the fact that there are so many families who struggle with food year round, but summer is one of the most difficult seasons. So children who might go to school and be on assisted or free lunch programs, that that doesn't exist in the summer. And all of a sudden there's the added expense of you know, feeding all of the meals at home. And it's a a real significant issue in a lot of places. I mean, there are places that do, public schools will provide um, a school lunch during the summer for families who qualify. But I think school gardens would be a great way. And in some communities are already a great way that that's somewhat able to be addressed and supported, um, you know, that families can access that produce. And, And I've, you know, read articles about communities where they'll go and have, you know, cooking events with it or salad bars or things like that. So, um, you know, so I, yeah. And not having, you know, that, that care for your children in the summer too, and having to be able to afford camp programs and things like that. It's definitely, definitely an area where I think our country is, is struggling because I, I think many and most families probably do at this point have to have both parents working or, or both parents want to work or, they're single parent homes. So, yeah.
0: I know. And there's so many options and things that we could do to improve that. Like I would even vote for like paying moms to stay home with the kids for like the first five years. <laughs> yeah. Because it would be worth yeah. it or, you know, just, uh, I, I, there's, I don't know. Anyway.
2: Uh, yeah.
0: what's the best gardening advice you've ever received, Michelle,
2: uh, the best gardening advice I received is that if you buy enough plants, no one will notice that half of them are dead. So I try and crowd them as close together as I can. So <laughs> nobody can see that, that half of them haven't quite made it. But, um, but I think like the, the deeper message in that is that it is, it is okay for things not to work in the garden.
0: Well, <laughs> oh, I love that. Especially like I, I ended up, you know, like when I planted everything and had all my big plans, um, I wasn't working an hour from my house. And then, so my whole, uh, spring garden plans all went out the window. How about your favorite yeah. tool? Like if you, when you move, is there something like you couldn't imagine going without to your bigger house?
2: Um, I love my tumbling outdoor composter. I have to say that has been such a nice oh, addition. This I year. So you, I, where
0: did I you get it? What try, kind did it?
2: Um, I got it on Amazon, and I can also send information on that um, for you in the show notes. But it was such a cool thing. Last year, I actually did get one of those kitchen composting pails, but because I don't live in an area where I can compost in my yard, I ended up then having to be like, well, now what do I do with it? So I asked around local gardening groups, like, did anybody need some compost and I end up kind of like gorilla composting in the woods. <laughs> we're, we're not going to admit to that, but maybe I did that. Um, and now it's so nice to be able to have the composter in our backyard and be able to actually go through the process of, of having it break down and decompose. And I was worried, you know, maybe it was going to like smell or track pests. not at all. Totally been working for us really well. My, my kids love helping with it and they're just so amazed at the idea that we can grow things in the garden and then the parts that we don't use can become the dirt that grows things in the garden. Like that's just then the coolest, the coolest thing that, and also um, you have to turn it and they love to help. Is turn that it not because anything. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is super cool. And I, I find it really exciting to look inside there and see everything is happening to, kind of right before. Is I, it
0: hard to get the compost out? How often do you have to empty it?
2: So we have not, we're, we're, I mean, we're a small family. We've not yet emptied it, but we're getting close. Um, I think if you had a, a larger family or more food waste, it might probably be need, you know, need to be emptied sooner. Um, it is not hard. I mean, it just, they suggest using like a tarp underneath to empty it. And I think, you know, and then transporting it and doing it that way, we will either do that or, or use a bucket, but um I, you know, I had a lot of concerns, like, if if I use all of my food waste, I'm going to have a lot of greens, but not necessarily a lot of browns. So I ended up just, you know, some of my garden waste, like weeds and things like that, and grass clippings or whatever, when they would come and do the lawns here, um, you know, helped with, with that end of it. The only downside to that is, you know, grass clippings from the lawn, and things that are from the ground, obviously, do have the chemicals that they spray. So I'm just mindful of that and aware that the soil is coming from that compost and the compost that we're getting is, you know, it's not organic at this point, but um, but it's a starting spot for us. And it's, you know, it's been kind of just a nice uh, science addition to our, our garden as well to kind of learn about that.
0: Oh, I love all of that. Yeah. How fun is it to have a tumbler, I bet. And if it's, if your kids are able to turn it, it must not be that
2: big. Yeah. It's it's not that, like it does get heavy when it's full, especially if it's only full on one side because it has, it's a double chamber unit. So you'll have one side where, you know, your compost is kind of steeping and the other side where you're adding new things. Um, so so it gets a little heavier, but that's kind of just as much fun because then they have to really, <laughs> really push and, and work to get it to go. So, do you want it?
0: If you don't want it, that's fine. But do you want to tell us how much? Like yeah. share with us how much it costs, so people maybe have an idea.
2: I think it was yeah. I think it was about. I think when we got it, it was about seventy dollars. I think. Um, well, that's totally. And, and yeah, I'll have to. And like, how look long have you had it? Yeah, that you haven't did and it? I didn't just see them it, like two weeks ago. Like we. Uh, no, we got it at the kind of the beginning of summer, end of spring. And then there was a period of time. Um, I'm not very handy. My husband is a little more handy was the period of time where it sat in the box, because when I opened the box, there were a, a lot of screws. <laughs> um, so he says it was not hard to put together. I was a little intimidated. I probably could have done it. <laughs> maybe maybe I would have needed to not have the three kids in the house while that was happening. So he did it while they were asleep and, and dealt it, but I haven't even seen them on sale this year at Costco, um, you know, in places like that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so we've had it for, for a while right, like and I'm getting to where I need to empty it, but, but I think it would probably depend on how often you're, you're filling it and how often you're using it and i'd love to say that we always always remember to put our food scraps in the compost pail in the kitchen but sometimes we don't so probably there'd be more to contribute if we always did but um sometimes we don't
0: <laughs> see you no know, i'm always baffled at that because and maybe it's because we have to haul our garbage to the green boxes which is not very convenient to me is that I don't yeah. want to put anything in my garbage can itself that possibly will smell. Like, i will yeah. out of my and that's way. We have true. pets yeah. that eat things think, like, and, and the compost. And, like, yeah. so for me. But, you know, I've been composting, like, I feel like my whole life. Like, even when I very first moved to college in Brooklyn in a little apartment. Like, I kept the milk carton on the container. And I I don't know what yeah. I did. It. I must taken it to my mom's. But I've just always composted.
2: I think convenience and visibility are huge factors. Cause I will say I keep my compost pail under our kitchen sink and there is a lock on that um, cabinet because there are also cleaning items and dishwasher detergent there. And um, I think if it was visible, I think we'd be more likely to put things in there, but we have very limited counter and kitchen space. So um, it is, it's under there. Uh, So I think that's one issue, but I also think convenience is a huge thing. And I can remember living in apartments in college where, um, you know, garbage pickup was only certain days and I only had a small garbage can. So I'd be way more likely to, you know, put things in my little compost pile than fill up my garbage can if it was going to smell, like you said. Or um, I remember my dad once uh, living in a place where I think he had to either, it was either the there was very infrequent garbage pickup for some reason he would freeze his garbage. Um, <laughs> and I don't really remember exactly why he had to. I think it's just that there was very infrequent pickup of garbage. And again, they didn't want, you know, things in, in the place to smell. So he became more mindful at that time of like throwing things away and what, you know, uh, what, to yeah. be and like, here, and like we can't yeah. leave
0: the garbage like there, you know because we have bears and stuff like once it's yeah use my kitchen it pretty much needs to get to the green boxes if it's any kind of smellier yeah like, and attract a bear Whereas, yeah and my, my garbage my, is mostly yeah. paper and plastic so it can sit on the porch for way too long
2: <laughs> anyway yeah and, how and about... my dad and his wife do compost now so mm-hmm. nice um.
0: How about if, you know, my mom freezes her compost because she'll like, you know, have a banana peel here and a something there. And yeah. She says it also decomposes easier, which I have to say, where her compost pile is, is like the darkest, richest looking dirt you ever saw. And things yeah. decompose there faster than any, like, it's amazing how fast. But anyway, Michelle. Yeah, and I. What's your favorite recipe you like to cook from the garden?
2: So I think that. I have so many, but I think this year because of our, um, what we actually grew, I would say that my favorite recipes would be our refrigerator pickle recipe, um, basil, pesto, and definitely pizza here. Pizza has been a big, a big thing here. My more particular eater who was most inspired to grow the pizza garden still only likes the cheese on his pizza, nothing else. At one point he put one basil leaf on it as well, but then he just took that off and ate pizza pizza as it is Um, but my my middle-aged son eats pretty much everything on his pizza and so we have a favorite pizza dough recipe and a favorite refrigerator pickle recipe and I can send those in the show notes as well Um, I like to make a batch of pizza dough and then just freeze them so you know if it's a crazy day and we just need to pull something quickly out of the freezer and, and you know make some dinner that's that's a great way to do it and so those are I guess
0: pizza dough and freeze it like do you roll out the dough and freeze like a pizza crust or that's like all laid out and not even that just a ball or just, the, just ball? the ball and then what you like yeah just in the morning a ball
2: and
0: like how do you and then I'll
2: saw it and yeah I'll saw it and the kids can roll it out or they got really into making different shapes those pizzas, so we've had like teddy bear shaped pizza, uh, Mickey Mouse shaped pizza was popular this summer. <laughs> um, so it is it's such a easy and simple dough. You can do it really quickly. It doesn't have to rise. You could do it, you know, the day of. You don't even really, um, it doesn't rise. I mean, it just proofs for five minutes and it's super super easy, super quick. Um, and I personally can't eat wheat or gluten, so I will for myself make um either a spelt flour dough or or um gluten-free flour altogether but but for the rest of the family just regular flour and and it's just really it's a nice staple to have on hand it's nice to have a stash in your freezer or or even to just whip it up really quickly the day that you do want it so
0: Awesome. I can't wait to check out that recipe. And I was going to ask you for the refrigerator recipe, but in the show notes is a yeah. perfect place to put them. Uh, so what's your favorite internet resource? Where do you like to surf on the web the most?
2: Oh, so I definitely, um, I love you know the websites that we've talked about, like, like Facebook and Pinterest and places where you can get, you know, connection and resources. I think, Other than that, I also um, really like, there's a website called outdoorclassrooms.com, and she's an amazing educator who also has really done a lot to support other educators and people all around in learning about using the outdoors and creating gardens of different types in schools and in communities to support education, so that's that's one of my favorite, um, websites as well. And yeah. Uh,
0: cool. Well, we'll check those out. How, about, and I'll make sure the links are in the show notes. How about yeah, definitely favorite reading material, like a book or a magazine?
2: Yeah. So I'm a, a bit of a book junkie. So I, I had to narrow it down when you asked that. I did mention, <laughs> um, the children's book pizza day by Melissa EY, which is, the one that inspired our, our garden, most of our garden this summer and this spring. Um, but I would say right now that some of my, my my three favorites, if I could narrow it to three, are Margaret Roach's A Way to Garden. She just came out her 20th anniversary edition. And I, she also has a podcast by the same title. Um, I also love, there's a new book that came out this summer by Amanda Thompson. And the book is called Backyard Adventure. Um, and she has a a website and podcast as well and then the other book that I absolutely love is Last Child in the Woods by Richard Love Um, and that was uh, like a national bestseller for years but it's an amazing amazing book Um, just talking about the importance of getting our kids back outdoors and he talks about something that he calls nature deficit disorder um but uh, has a lot of research that he did to support you know where his his views and and experiences came from so it's a really book to read if you haven't already i can't hear you are you still there
0: oh sorry i don't know if maybe uh, we will. oh there you are no, sorry. I, <laughs> I said i think somebody else on my show recommended that book
2: uh yeah it's an amazing book nature
0: deficit disorder thing uh yeah oh it was and it kind done of like
2: intertwines with work my work own yeah
0: somebody.
2: uh like I I often talk about play deficit in in children today and the nature end of it is huge so that's kind of been a really big um supporter of my my own personal theory as as an educator and and a parent
0: well, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, especially with this generation of kids who are like, you know, I mean, I'm the biggest techie out there, but I think you got to have a certain balance. Um,
2: yeah. And I think using it to support the experience is huge. And I actually love that the author, and I'm not sure if it's in this book or one of his other books, he has another one called Vitamin, I uh, uh, can't remember now, is it Vitamin N, I think for nature um but he will he has a chapter in it all about yeah he has one a chapter and they're all about using technology in nature which i think is a really really important topic now um, to make sure that that we are incorporating the best of both worlds and i know like a couple was a few summers ago that that pokemon thing app came out Um, my kids are too young for it but they got kids back outside, (laughs) you know, there are kids in nature and yes, they were holding their cell phones looking for Pokemon all over, but they were outside. So.
0: Yep. That's a great example. Okay, Michelle. Uh, I was saying, except you couldn't hear me, uh, that we've actually been talking for like an hour and a half. So, you know, my final question, uh, but I'm still going to read it. If there's one change you'd like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or a project you'd like to see put into action, which is kind of what you've been talking about? And uh, anyway, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale?
2: So I love that question, by the way, and I love hearing all of all of the guests' answers. Um, my oh, response would be to that, as yeah, as our children and our society as a whole becomes more bound by the space of floor walls and the ceiling, I think that there, there's an increasing disconnect between what's inside and outside of those walls. And I feel like as an educator, at a certain point, I outgrew the walls and ceiling of my classroom, and I really felt strongly about expanding that um, for for myself, for my kids, for our community. I think that one of the things that most gets in our way is the feeling that we we just have this huge mountain ahead of us of things that we need to do. And it can kind of lead to, well, if there's so much to do, I'm going to do nothing. If there's so many problems with our environment, I can't do anything. So my biggest thing is not to do a complete overhaul of your lifestyle and not to go from the comfort of your couch and throw yourself into the wilderness. If you're the kind of person that prefers to, you know, stick your big toe in the pool first, but just to choose things to add in. I think when we, for me, at least when I get into this taking away mindset, like, well, I can't use this anymore and I can't do that anymore. It's really hindering. So finding things to add into your lifestyle that, Help support a greener world and a greener future, and and a world that's more in, incorporating of outdoor experience and outdoor play. So whatever that means to you, if it's you know adding in a recycling bin or adding in buying things secondhand that are able to be bought secondhand versus new, or adding in more fresh fruits and vegetables through a CSA, or you know whatever is meaningful to you and and simple for you, because I think that finding those areas of small success and small steps are what help build more of those. And, and for me, you know, that's just kind of been finding things in our household that work to add in and, you know, maybe stepping outside if it's really horrendously hot, like it's been this summer. I tell people, go on outdoor snacks. Don't make it a full meal. You don't have to go outside for three hours. Take a 10-minute walk go for, you know, a 10 minute run through a sprinkler, you know, and kind of just approaching it that way in ways that feel manageable and positive rather than this. Oh my goodness. I need to completely overhaul my lifestyle and change way.
0: That couldn't have been a more perfect uh, answer. So there were two things that I made myself notes, not to forget to talk to you about one. I can't wait to read your book, vitamin P about, um, the importance of play and play deficit when you get that done um, which might not a title be for until it. after <laughs> your kids uh your kids are in school one yeah. more time but right now you're just doing your research so uh i'll be great and now i have a title
2: so that's perfect <laughs> i
0: uh, i'll be one of the first ones to buy it and leave your review and then also Uh, you talked about this way back in the beginning, but you were talking like, I don't know why I keep hearing people talk about the best part of school was the field trip. And you were talking about getting kids outside to learn and doing or the place without walls like, and isn't there a school in Washington, DC called a school without walls where the kids like, I I don't know how it works exactly, but I just remember hearing there may be there. Yeah. There are a lot
2: of forest schools going up. There's a really big push in schools that already exist to increase outdoor time. Um, There are entire challenges. There's a website that has a challenge of gaining a certain number of hours outdoors each year. So I think that, I think we are making a shift. I think we're in the beginning stages of it. I definitely think we're making a shift though. I think that, that we're seeing, you know, just as much as We thought that it would be helpful to come recess time or to use that as pull in time for kids who needed services and kids who needed, you know, test support that now we're seeing that this might not have been the best approach. And, you know, I think the more that we can balance it. And as you said, utilizing this amazing advent of technology in support of still being outside and using it in conjunction with that rather than it being an all Or nothing thing it doesn't it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be one or the other it can definitely be both and
0: i agree i have this dream about kids going to high school on the amtrak trains because i don't think they're as busy in the during the school year and i just think with ipads like you could have a teacher at the front with a smart board and the kids with their ipad and i don't know and they could like city kids could see what it's like to be country kids country kids can see what it's like you could oh, see yeah. like, i love traveling around the united states and just like kids could like i don't know it'd be like instead of a semester at sea it'd be like a semester on the rails and like
2: unless you abroad on amtrak yeah yeah
0: everybody that i've mentioned it to are like like these people this summer they were talking about it i was talking about they're like i would love that and like i don't have that oh yeah, places, I would like, yeah i would love that anyway michelle what's your inspirational chipper quote to help motivate listeners to reach into the dirt and start their own garden not that you haven't dropped like a million golden seeds in this episode i know listeners are going to love it as much as i am
2: yeah so i have a sign that i made and it hangs above my back door as a reminder for me and it says think outside no box needed and so it just kind of reminds me every time that i walk by open the door and get out there that you don't need a big space you don't need a perfect space you don't need to even actually have any space at all if you don't I mean you can just get out that door and and that's the first step
0: perfect so the sign must be like in your kid or wherever your door like it's in the house so when you go out like at first time, yeah it's, it's in, in the, the house outside. and it's hanging
2: above it yep Got it. oh I love that
0: <laughs> uh well, tell us yeah. first, how do they connect with you if you want them to be able to connect with you? And, like, don't you have, like, isn't it called Alphabet something? Pre- or...
2: Um. So my, my children go to a preschool in our community. Um, but the best way to connect with me, I guess, I can send you also in the show notes. But I I do keep a, a personal blog, which is um, just for my own my own enjoyment called play a day. And I share ideas there for, um, for learning and play activities with children at home as well as in the classroom. Um, I also occasionally contribute articles to other websites, And I can be reached by email. I can send you that um, at the show notes and the website to the blog, if you're interested as well. Um, So.
0: Perfect. I'll make sure I, put it in there so Michelle thanks so much for sharing with us and inspiring everybody today and just you've been such a great guest and I love connecting with you on Facebook and a listener and thanks for sharing your morning with us
2: yeah thank you too and best of luck in your school year I I can't wait to see how your your worm bins go and um, and the space in your school that's outdoors for your students so that's that's an exciting exciting beginning you too take care Bye. do you
0: know someone who would benefit from the organic gardener podcast if you like what you hear we'd love it if you'd share the organic gardener podcast with a friend thanks again for listening and remember grow local